They said the pandemic was the final nail in the coffin for brick-and-mortar retailers. Many closed their doors for good, others filed for bankruptcy. But in the midst of chaos, there is also opportunity. Michelle Gass first joined Kohl's more than seven years ago, signing on as the company's first chief customer officer and quickly rising up the ranks until 2018 when she was named the company's CEO. Now Gas is leading Kohl's through the most challenging period in the company's history. She's betting big on strategic new partnerships and has outlined a new plan to navigate the COVID crisis. In this episode of Influencers, I speak with Michelle Gass about the future of e-commerce, teaming up with one of the world's largest retailers, and why she says the coronavirus presents a unique opportunity for Kohl's. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Michelle Gass, the CEO of Kohl's. Michelle, nice to see you. It's good to see you, Andy. So you're in headquarters up in Wisconsin, right? I am, Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Yeah, so um, wanna talk to you about everything that's going on. First of all, let's, let's talk a little bit about Kohl's because everyone knows what Kohl's is, one of the largest stores uh, in the United States, but they might not really understand sort of, well, niche is maybe not the right word because you're so big, but what sort of space you guys fill. What is Kohl's exactly then, Michelle? Yeah, well, to your point, Andy, let me let me just talk about Kohl's, um, our company, our brand, and then talk about the exciting pivot that we're making um, as, a, as a business. So first of all, as you said, um, I hope everybody knows Kohl's, but we, we do serve American families literally coast to coast. We're in 49 states. We, we serve about 65 million customers. Um, one out of every two American households actually shop Kohl's. We have a very big loyalty program, about 30 million members. And a fun stat that we like to share is that 80% of Americans live within 15 miles of a Kohl's. And that's within our store fleet. So we have close to 1,200 stores, but we also have a growing e-commerce business that last year penetrated about 25% of our business. Obviously in this time, uh, it's penetrating a lot more, but it has been a terrific growth engine for the company. You know, historically, Andy, to your question, well, first of all, I would say from the very beginning and the heritage of the company, we've been all about families. So we serve uh, families, diverse families, and we're all about meeting their needs. And we have a, a great purpose statement. We're very much a purpose-driven company. And our purpose is to inspire and empower families to lead more fulfilled lives. And that's true to the DNA. And so we sell lots of categories to accomplish that. Um, but we are very customer oriented. I mean, we put our people and our customers at the center of everything we do. And customer needs and family needs have been changing. They've been changing over the last few years and that's accelerated during this time, this period of COVID. And so um, I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but the punchline for Kohl's is that we are gonna be evolving our business and our brand to stand much more for the active and casual lifestyle and how American families are living today. And I want to talk more about that. Indeed, Michelle, you're right. First of all, we talked uh, a little while ago, a few months ago, and, and I sort of said you were a department store and you said, well, not really. 
So why not really? What's different from you versus a traditional department store, for instance? Yeah, it's a great question, Andy. So even, even in our kind of prior chapters of the company, we've been very different than a department store. Um, first, I would say our locations. So 95% of our stores are off mall. And typically you think about a department store as an anchor to a mall. And right from the very beginning, the construct of the business was to make ourselves really convenient to our families. So easy access in and out, hence the 95% off mall presence and even the store design and layout, it's very atypical than what you might think of a department store. So we call it the racetrack design. So you can come in our stores and you can spend as much or a little time as you want um, with a really easy navigation path. And um, all our registers are at the front of the store, again, speaking to that convenience. I think where we're going, Andy, is even further separation. So I'd say one, just everything we've done and invested in from an omni-channel standpoint. So operating our store fleet, having this important digital business, and then how we bring those things together. A lot of that over the last couple of years has been more back of house. So fulfilling orders um, from something we call ship from store. So we take advantage of the inventory in our stores and we get it to the customer faster if you know the pair of jeans they're looking to order is actually in their local store, maybe versus one of our e-fulfillment centers, our e-commerce fulfillment centers. But more and more, and the thing I get excited about is how easy we're making it for customers to order online and then come in, either pick it up in the store. We've had that service for a couple of years or now our newly introduced curbside pickup. And that really plays back into the convenience where they, and we have special parking. So literally they can come uh, in, you know, park special to go in and, and get their buy online pickup in store or now just drive their car right up to the curb. So that convenience factor, I think has always distinguished us from the call it traditional department store. Now um, we're making this move, as I said, to really redefine ourselves as much more of, I'd describe a specialty concept, a specialty store, a lifestyle retailer, candidly serving the family for all of their active and casual needs across everything. You know, one might think apparel and there's many successful players in that space and that business is growing, that category is growing. Um, yes, and we're, you know, we sell a lot of active and casual apparel, but there's footwear and even meeting the needs of a healthy lifestyle is about home and healthy cooking and things like healthy sleep. And we're all looking for a little more of that these days. Yep, and I wanna talk a little bit more about that and also your partnership with Amazon. But but you mentioned how you're changing the business this year. And of course, that brings us directly to COVID because that's accelerating the change or informing how you're changing as well. And of course, you guys got hit big time like all the other retailers. And now you've been coming back Talk about that whole process, Michelle, and how that's going right now. Yeah, Andy, it's hard to imagine that was just seven, eight months ago that all of all of this happened and you know has changed the world as we know it. And for retailers like Kohl's, um, even more significant of an, of an impact because we did our part in helping to slow the virus and we'll continue to do that. But our stores ended up being closed the entire fleet for seven weeks and you know, some parts of our business closed for up to 17 weeks. Um, you know, that process, if I go back in time and what that was like, you know, it's interesting, Andy, um, March was gonna be the time where we unveiled to our investors what our new direction of the company was. That literally was planned for March 16th. 
And it was up until that week before that we were getting ready to, it had already moved from in-person to a webcast. Um, but literally days before where we saw the dramatic acceleration of what COVID was doing to society at large. And um, so literally in a matter of days, we decided to postpone our postpone our investor day. Um, and on that day specifically, March 16th, it's a day I'll never forget. Um, we were huddled, my leadership team and I huddled around a table in a conference room, figuring out and trying to interpret all the signals of what was happening in the country and in the world um, and how we were gonna get through this period with recognizing that 75% of our business at some point was probably going to be closed um, given all the unknowns around the virus. So we set out two key priorities, which is first and foremost, um, our doing our part to protect the safety of our people and our customers and secondly, to ensure our financial viability and resilience through this process. So instead of being up in front of investors, we were figuring out what we needed to do to, like I say, put new procedures in place in our stores, assuming one day they'd be reopened, and of course they were, but then the financial decisions around reducing expenses and um, ensuring we had the adequate liquidity. So um, upsizing our revolver, you know, getting more um, capital from the markets, et cetera. And it was great to be on the other side and our balance sheet, we entered this period with a strong balance sheet and um, it continues to be the case today. And, and I would say once we did get back our stores up and running, um, you know, obviously our liquidity dramatically improved and we have now paid back that full 1.5 billion revolver. But that period of time, it was really a defining moment for the company and the team on how we so quickly could galvanize, do the right thing in our, like I said, our role for the greater good, the right thing for our people, but make really tough, tough decisions, unimaginable decisions that I never thought I would face to get through that period. The, the problem, Michelle, for you and for so many other leaders though, is that you guys weathered this storm, but now it appears like COVID's coming back and as cases are rising in nearly every state, they're rising in your home state of Wisconsin, of course. Um, so how are you now navigating this latest wrinkle and what's the, what's the latest in terms of managing through this ongoing crisis, I guess? It's not really over necessarily. Yeah, cer certainly not over. And Andy, I think you're looking at the same data I am, and we're going to be in this for a while. Um, you know, I think that that first chapter for us was, you know, we were all facing something we had never faced before, and there was there was so much uncertainty on on every level. Um, but when we did close down and made sure we had the liquidity and, like I said, did everything we needed to do for our associates, I mean, we still had associates working and we have a big e-commerce business and our e-fulfillment centers were very busy and we were fulfilling orders even from the store. But I think importantly, recognizing even then that we were going to be in this for a while, putting new processes and procedures in place for our stores to operate in this environment, but very differently. So. I'd say the good thing for Kohl's is we already have big stores. They're spacious, uh, sort of built for social distancing from the beginning. Um, but we, you know, we set out to uh, to be best in class in operating our stores safely. So there was there was no stone unturned from the um, you know the obvious things like lots of sanitizer and the plexis and and everything that people are doing. But investing more in um, labor and putting a greeter at the front to wipe down carts. 
ensuring that our our pin pads and our registers were wiped down after every customer interaction. And some of the big moves, frankly, were removing merchandise um, from the store. And as a retailer, you know, you never do that, right? Um, but we actually cleared out. I mentioned that racetrack cleared out that racetrack of any racetrack of any impulse items. Opened up the floor. What we're actually finding, Andy, is it's delivering a better customer experience. So we're actually not going back. And even reducing our inventory as dramatically as we did, not knowing um, how long we were going to close and then what the rebound was going to be like, um, we're, we're seeing good results out of that, driving faster inventory turn. But all that being said, I do feel very confident that we are operating in a different, better, safer way today. Even, you know, COVID cases are increasing, but the team's all over it. And what's a really important data point for me is we're regularly serving our customers and we get very high marks. They feel very comfortable shopping in our store. They feel safe. And we're continuing to see that, you know, even with um, cases rising, um, there's there's still a need for people to, or a want for people to come to Kohl's. And while in the early stage of this, we were deemed non-essential, we're viewed pretty essential to a lot of our customers. Yeah, who do you talk to uh, to get information and stay informed and and get guidance? Do you talk to the governor? Do you talk to Washington? Do you talk to scientists, board members? How does that work? All, all of the above, all of the above. I, I think one of the great silver linings through this is how the industry has come together to be as informed as possible. So, you know, I'm part of, of several industry associations, as you would imagine, and these groups are holding you know, in the in the core of the early chapters of this, we were on calls twice a week, you know, during the week, on the weekend. They were bringing in, um, you know, many experts from, to your point, the scientists to um, government officials, um, everything in between state level, federal level. So we would always have the latest information of what was going on. And then I think it's just been incredible with the openness across what would be traditionally competitors, that we were just completely open around best practices we were putting in place, for example, on the safety front. Because our view is, hey, we're all gonna win together here. We we want to create a safe retail environment more broadly. It's not just about Kohl's at this point. It's how do we do our part together as an industry to have people feel comfortable being out again with, again, they're living in this, our consumers are living in such an uncertain environment. How can we reassure them? And we were better together on that front. But it's an ongoing piece. Maybe, Andy, we're meeting twice a week um, in the early parts of this. I'm still on at least weekly calls across multiple fronts. Some are industry. Some are just um, big forums with CEOs from across many industries, um, tapping into the expertise amongst our community, but importantly, bringing in these subject matter experts. That's been critical, absolutely critical to me. Fascinating. So you were talking to people at Target and Walmart and other big <laughs> big chains like that as well and CVS or companies they're with all, they're all on multiple calls that I was on yes and there were some I mean I would say I got great um great input from grocers you know who were just open this whole time and looking at the best practices that they had put in place a lot of those applied right to Kohl's Right. And how good we were ahead of it. I mean, even before we closed our stores, and I'll never forget that day either, um, we shut the door the evening of March 19th. Even before that happened, we were already 
making the changes and ordering plexiglasses. I myself, Andy, was, believe it or not, going to local stores and seeing how those plexis were set up because I just want to make sure as we made the move, you know, this was not a check the box. We really needed to keep our customers safe and importantly, our people safe because that was also another factor. I mean, we employ close to 100,000 people across our distribution centers and our stores. And um, we did, by the way, Andy, make a difficult decision. Um, you know, a few weeks into closing our stores, we had to furlough these associates. Um, so bringing them back, we need to make sure they were safe and they felt safe. And our return rate was very, very strong. Um, you know, on that front too, we're just such a purpose and culture driven company. Even while these associates were furloughed, um, what well, we wanted to make sure that they would want to come back, feel welcome back. We maintained their health benefits um, and all the communication I did, they continued to get that. They were still part of the team. So that, that safety piece and the best practice sharing and benchmarking has been instrumental and continues to be um, as we sit here today. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the economy, Michelle, and specifically the need for a stimulus package, another one. And obviously that's been all locked up in Washington. Uh, do you think that we need another stimulus and should that even include a bailout for some retailers? I mean, some people have suggested that Pennies and Macy's should get, get monies directly. What's your thought on that? You know, I, I guess my thought overarching on this is you know, I, I want the consumer to be as healthy as they can be. And, you know, there are many ways to accomplish that objective. Um, ideally, we have people working and it's safe, um, but we need to make sure this virus is under control as well. Um, clearly, when the first stimulus package was passed, um, you, know, you could see it, it impacted consumers and it, it gave them the safety net they needed. So, you know, I'm just a big fan of whatever we need to do to help the economy and our, our customers come out the other side of this. And I'd say for Kohl's, Andy, on this, um, again, we are, we are fortunate that we entered this period as a strong, resilient company and retailer, but then we had to make some really tough, decisive, quick actions to make sure that, that you know, we maintained that position, and we did. Um, but there is gonna be some, some marketplace disruption through all of this. And, uh, you know, we've all been seeing that. And, um, you know, for, from a coal standpoint, I think ultimately there'll be an opportunity for us to capture to capture market share. I mean, I, you know, I it has been painful as someone part of this industry to see what has happened, right? I would never wish um, negative things to happen to these companies or importantly, the people who have had livelihoods there. Um, but there is a practical reality to some of this happening. And, you know, I look at it from a standpoint of the market share is going to go somewhere. And, you know, I think we have a great concept. As I said, we're evolving who we are to be more relevant. And we have great associates um, to serve and welcome these customers. So we'll be there for our customers. And, you know, to the health of the consumer, I mean, I think the good thing for Kohl's is part of, of our DNA is we're about great value. And whether it's how we price our goods or our loyalty program, um, we're in a good position to serve customers wherever they are on their financial spectrum. I mean, you still do have this wind in your face, Michelle, with, you know, people talk about the retail apocalypse and even leaving COVID aside, of course, that, you know, there's just this great sea change in retailing, of course, and it's all about digital. Um, we'll talk about your relationship with Amazon in a second, but I'm just wondering what your 
thoughts are in terms of the place for brick and mortar in this new reality, maybe post-COVID even. Uh, how, what will it take to succeed as a, as a, a physical store? Yeah, that is, that's a great question. It's a big question. I mean, clearly COVID has dramatically accelerated digital adoption, right? I mean, some would say five plus years, um, what it typically would have, would have taken across all demographics. And, um, you know, we're always going to go where the customer is. So we're leaning into that. I think the power of Kohl's is really about this omni-channel force, like I spoke about. So how we can link um, the digital acceleration with our strong um, stores. But we're starting from a very good place, Andy. So to your point, you do see what's happening. You see brick and mortar closing. Um, you know, there's been numbers thrown out there like 20,000 stores even this year are going to be closed. Um, we have close to 1,200 stores and they're healthy. So 99% of them are cash flow positive. 90% of them are generating over a million dollars of cash. And so every time I look at this, it's like, no, we're starting from an incredible place. We, we are always rigorously evaluating our stores. But, you know, an important factor that I think isn't spoken enough about is that, you know, where we have a store, our digital sales around the store actually increase. So it's more, it's the brand relevance. I have complete confidence and conviction that even in this digital acceleration, there's going to be a role for stores. Um, you know, the day we the day we opened our doors back, I mean, we had lines of people anxious to come in. Now, yes, they're seeing plexis. Um, our associates are in masks. They're coming in in masks, but they want to get out of the house. They want to engage. They want to discover product, and you know, discovering product online is different than discovering product in a store where you can just sort of see something and it captures your attention or your imagination. But I do think the bar has been raised for how a brick and mortar operator, you know, uh, performs, how they operate. And, you know, clearly there's a new safety protocol. You've got to measure up and ideally exceed the customer's expectation. That's not going to go away even in a year's time. And I think that's going to have a long tail to it, perhaps permanently. And then if someone's making a decision to come to the store, um, you better be on your A game, right? So the products you sell being even more curated on what you're offering, both offering that dependability, but also importantly that that discovery. Um, but customers, like I said, they're, they're still there's still a human need to want to get out of your house and engage and ways to do that. But shopping, you know, that's sort of core to society. And so, um, you know, I'm looking forward to being one of continuing to be one of those choices as we look forward. Tell us about the relationship with Amazon now, and are they a friend or a frenemy, or <laughs> how does that whole relationship work? Yeah, I would I would definitely put them in the friend category. You know, when we created this relationship a few years ago um, and started testing, and I can describe that in a moment, it definitely got a few uh, questions like, wait a minute, aren't you, aren't you competing with Amazon? Of course, I would say there's plenty of market share to be had, right? There's billions of dollars in the kinds of products we sell. But a few years ago, I mean, we're looking at the incredible company they were building, the tailwind they had, and we have assets they have, and they have assets we don't have. I mean, we look at our, you know, we get the store base I keep talking about, right? Healthy, robust. And, you know, another comment to our earlier discussion, the future of brick and mortar, it's not just about transacting and buying product. As I mentioned, 
we're using them to fulfill goods. So they're an omni-channel fulfillment center as well. And so we've really challenged ourselves to think creatively about all the ways that a this this physical space can be used and serve our families. So um, you know, a few years ago, um, we connected with Amazon and talked about you know lots of ideas actually on how we could bring our complementary strengths. We've got this incredible store base and this consumer base. They have this tremendous reach and loyalty. Uh, is there a win-win in here? And can we think differently and build on each other's strengths? And so we started testing this idea where at the core of it, we accept Amazon returns. And one of the insights we have about our customers, Andy, is that, and we knew this from our own experience, customers hate dealing with returns, packaging up, finding the packing slip, going, dealing with it. And we have already seen that 90% of our returns happen in the store. So how could we extend that? and have that really be a skill of the company that we can leverage into other spaces. And uh, Amazon didn't have the convenience of these 1200 stores that we offer. So the service in a nutshell is um, we take Amazon returns and we make it really easy for the customer. We have a dedicated space. It takes literally seconds to process the return. The big advantage, it's free and the customer doesn't have to package it up. So literally they can just walk in with whatever item that maybe they change their mind on and bring it to Kohl's and they're, you know, they're done. And what we get is we get new traffic and importantly, building a relationship with some new customers. And what we're finding is we are getting new customers and we're seeing a younger customer. And those are both very strategically important to us. And where could you take this relationship? And I mean, are you starting to track uh, customer data with Amazon, which Amazon is so good at, and some people, you know, raise their eyebrows about that, of course, but how much further could this go? Yeah, they've been, um, I can't say enough part with them. They've been, they've a, been a great partner to us and we compare notes on the service. Um, we're just rounding our one year anniversary of having taken this across the country to all of our stores. We studied it in pilots before we went live and you know it's working for them again they're de they're delivering a seamless experience to their customers we're seeing the traffic and there's more things we can do um a lot of those things i can't talk about right now but we're we're you know we're trying out different ways to better serve the customer within this um pilot you may have heard about or, or this experience you may have heard about a pilot we're doing where you know we have this initiative andy called um right sizing which basically we look at some of their stores our stores average about ninety thousand square feet and we have about 20 stores where we are, um, in essence, shrinking our store to so go from 90,000 to say 60,000 and then bringing in a tenant next to us. So we've done that with grocery stores. We've done it with some fitness concepts and we are building out an Amazon gross or they're building an Amazon grocery concept that will be adjacent to a Kohl's. You know, will it work or not? Um, we'll see. It has to work for both of us. But I think it really speaks to the spirit of the partnership and trying this. Um, and more importantly, and something that I was focused on pre-COVID and more so even during COVID and well beyond, is, is Kohl's being obsessive about experimentation and trying things. And we have lots of those going on right now and the speed and the agility. I mean, I mentioned curbside. That's been done by many companies and brands, especially grocery stores for years. Not so much in our space. We stood that up in two weeks, literally two weeks after we closed our stores. Um, we're trying out a new concept. It's going up this week called the wellness market, where we're selling um, consistent with this, this vision of, 
of active and casual and wellness where we're going to be selling categories of personal care or home cleaning. We've typically not been in those categories. We're going to try it in 50 stores. It may or may not work, but I think it just speaks to the agility of the team to be willing to take measured risks and, and see what works. And there's going to be hopefully some big things that work and some things that don't, and we'll, we'll close them down. Got to keep pushing out. Absolutely. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask about your background. You are from Maine. Indeed, I am from Maine, yes. WPI, right, and, and studied chemical engineering, I think, there. And so how did all that being a New Englander prepare you to uh, run this company? We'll talk about Starbucks in a second. Was that a background that helps you out right now? Yeah. So um, it's a great question. You know, I, I grew up in Maine. I went to school in Massachusetts, and I ended up at Procter and Gamble. My first job out of uh, chemical engineering. I ultimately did get my MBA at University of Washington when we had moved to Seattle at, at some chapter later. But um, you know, I am a big believer in having either technical, mathematical skills as a as a core part of your background. And I'd say with an engineering background, that's all about problem solving. So, um, you know, I learned at P&G that maybe I was less passionate about chemical problems, but I was much more passionate about solving problems for the consumer and that level, that sense of innovation. But, you know, I think, again, the engineering mind is about looking at opportunities of problems from multiple angles and, um, and driving innovation and new thinking. And so now I get to do that in amazing ways. Um, and I have over, you know, now decades of my career, just thinking about how to innovate, how to how to zig when others are zagging, how to surprise um, and look for those those ways to be one step ahead of where the consumer's going. And you had a great run at Starbucks, helped put the Frappuccino on the map and work with Howard Schultz for quite some time. What was that experience <laughs> like, Michelle? What did you learn there? Boy, well, I was there close to 17 years, Andy, so, so hard in a, in a quick answer to answer that. I mean, that, that you know, I think that experience defined who I am today. I learned um, so much during that period on so many levels from incredible leaders and mentors like Howard Schultz and, and others there. Um, I think, you know, first of all, it's putting the customer and your employees at the center of everything you do. And and Starbucks was phenomenal at that. And frankly, one of the, the reasons I came to Kohl's is I saw that as well, the, the core of the Kohl's culture and value, they shared that, right? That passion and importance around their employees and, and, our, and our customers. Um, the spirit of innovation and entrepreneurialism, again, that has been a hallmark at Starbucks from the very beginning and continues. And they, you know, they have extraordinary success. And so during all my time there, whether it was uh, leading new beverage innovations or food, or you know, I had a tremendous opportunity and worked overseas um, in Europe, um, that the company really rewards, embraces disruptive thinking and innovation. And so um, I've, it's been great to, to further foster that here in, in this environment. So, you know, and then, you, like I said, I'll just end on the culture. And it's just really important to do all those things to foster an environment so that people can come to work and, and be their best selves, be their authentic selves. And that's really important to me. And, and I, I've never seen it so critical than during a crisis and during COVID where, you know, I'm responsible for 100,000 people. And when we were in this state of so much uncertainty, it was really important for me to show up 
as a leader, um, drive that clarity and that comfort. I did weekly video outreaches to every associate so that they could, you know, kind of say, okay, I don't know what's spinning around me, but I can look up, I can see my leader, I can see the leadership team, and they may not have all the answers, but they have my back. And I think that's critically important. And again, all these, all these aspects, putting the customer, the center, the role of the employee, culture, and, and that innovation, um, those are values I live by very much today. And speaking of values, I want to ask you about diversity and inclusiveness. And there's a lot of work for corporate America to do here. There's only 10% of the Fortune 500 CEOs are women, 0.1 and 0.2. Workplaces in the C-suite are not nearly diverse enough. Uh, and so there's there's work to be done. I'm, I'm sure you agree. And I, I'm wondering what you're doing to make that happen at Kohl's at the very least, Michelle. Yeah, Andy, it's a really, really important point. And you know, our work will never be done here. And myself, like many other leaders, as you point out, I I'm so I'm so happy and impressed with how CEOs across the country and the world are upping our game on our role in building diverse and inclusive environments for our companies and, and frankly, even doing more than that. So um, we have a very ambitious diversity um, strategy and um, we have over the last year set up a task force. I personally chair that and we're looking at diversity and inclusion from its broadest sense. So um, our, our strategy is simple, but there's lots of layers to it, which we're focused on the diversity and inclusion of our people, um, for our customers and for the communities we serve. You know, as it relates to people, if I look at the overall associate base of Kohl's, um, all those 100,000 people, we actually look pretty good. We look like most of America. Um, to your point, when I look at, you know, our top leaders, our directors and above, we need to do better. And so we are doing lots of things to impact that at all levels from a recruiting standpoint and where we're recruiting, from a retention, uh, from an engagement, we have um, what we call business resource groups, or some call it employee resource groups. Um, we have nine of them, all focus on different aspects of this. So, um, you know, there's there's not one moment in any of my monthly uh, videos or town halls that I'm not talking about the importance of diversity and holding ourselves as leaders accountable. We need to make much, you know, greater progress around people of color and even on women. Um, you know, I'm 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 proud to be a, a female CEO. There's not enough of us. Um, you know, one one detail too is that my CFO is a woman too. So um, we're a CEO, CFO, female pair, and there's not that many of those either. Our customers. Um, we need to be more relevant to a diverse base of customers. We have you know tremendous opportunity there to serve our customers more effectively and. You know, I believe doing the right thing can also lead to great results. And as we do that, that will also enhance our results. And then lastly, community. One of the biggest things we can do, Andy, is um, impact our supplier base. And so we're putting goals around how we're going to grow our supplier base to have a much more diverse set of suppliers and make an impact there, too. All right. Well, certainly a lot of work for you to do, Michelle. Thank you so much for your time. Michelle Gass, the CEO of Kohl's. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Andy. Take care. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter at Yahoo Finance and at Serwer.